Hi, welcome to Not Your Best Girl, a show with A-tier host and D-tier tastes. I'm Leanne, I use she, her, hers. I'm Kim, I also use she, her, hers. Great, and let's get rolling with our just general check-in for the week. What are some of the shows we have watched that are not part of our challenge and perhaps not part of the seasonal anime? I mostly focused on challenge shows this week, but yesterday, for a friend's birthday, because this is apparently what you do in weeby-ass friend groups, is watch your friend's favorite anime for their birthday, I started Fate Zero. Which is a big step for me as somebody who has played an entire year in a fate-based RPG and has been in a friend group that fucking loves fate for years now, but never touched any of the properties because I felt like it was a rabbit hole I didn't need to get into. But then I learned that there were sexy people in Fate Zero and I was like, well, this is happening. So... Yeah, I watched the first two episodes. The first episode is like 50 minutes long. And I watched the second one today. And I'm enjoying it. It's very weird knowing a lot of the like sort of setup lore and seeing it actually explained on TV is strange to me. But I'm having fun. I have a huge crush on Waver, <laughs> uh, which is, I guess like, I feel like people people think that's unexpected, I think. But I entirely expected it. How explicit can we get? <laughs> Go for it. No. Well, I mean, we're an explicit podcast because we say fuck it's too true. much. It's true. No, I was just, I was watching it and I had a crush on him and I was like, oh God, what age is he? Because he's in school. So he could be anywhere from 15 to 23. He is not 15. I am good. I feel better about this. Anyway, you can't give a character a blunt bob, make him kind of bratty and call him Waver Velvet and not have me want to peg him. That's just how it goes, gang. That's that's just how this works. Like, it's a formula. Anyway, I love him, and I'm excited to see what he does. I'm also excited because Kiritsugu seems to be, like, my type TM in character. Sexy, angsty dad. But whether or not he's, like, a good dad remains to be seen. Nobody's given me a straight answer on that, and I don't want one. But yeah, we'll see how it goes as I work my way through at least Fate Zero, and then, depending on how that goes, maybe another Fate series. I don't know if I want to get, like, you know, neck deep in it yet. I don't know if I have the time. Well, as somebody who has watched Fate Zero three times, I believe, I'm very excited about this. I am a big Fate fan. I have done both VNs and also have done I'm currently getting back into Fate Grand Order unfortunately but I'm also very You're a disaster I'm also very happy to be back into it and I have Ishtar that's all I care about I'm happy for you I am not getting Fate Grand Order because I do not trust myself to like not spend all of my savings yeah gotcha I would game. not recommend it I say I don't yeah. recommend Fate Order to anybody unless they found it on their own. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably the safe way to do things. But yeah, so who knows where this adventure will take me, but I'm excited to find out. I'm excited to watch. Mm-hmm. That's the only non-Mamo show I watched this week. Leanne, do you want to talk a little bit about your watch? Because you seem to be very excited about it. Yeah, so I watched Bloom Into You, which has been on my list for a while, but I, I had yet to get to it. 
Blooming to You is a very lovely, lovely show. The basic premise is that the main character, Yu, grew up reading, watching plenty of romance, shoujo, manga, and anime. But when a boy confesses to her, she feels nothing. She is confused by this because she's always loved romance and has sort of always wanted to live out the, what she has read in, her, in books and all that, but did not find those feelings that she thought she would when being confessed to. She then wonders if she can ever be in a relationship. Later, she then spies beautiful senpai Nanami turn down a confession with Grace. She learns from Nanami that she also believes she can never be in a relationship, drawing you closer to her. However, almost instantly, and maybe a little too instantly to be believable personally, Nanami then realizes that she has feelings for you, confessing to her. And instead of fully turning her down, you continue to spend time with Nanami without fully reciprocating her feelings, and they continue to learn together. I feel so unused to women-loving women relationships handled with such care and grace in anime. There was zero trace of this show being written to satisfy men. I am shocked that when I looked at the recommended shows after finishing this, that Citrus was on there because I, for me, they're polar opposites. They just both happen to be about queer women. I also really appreciated that even when like Nanami got a little horny, which she did and she does, the control in the writing and makes it feel very realistic and not fan servicey at all. Sometimes girls are horny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's definitely one of the things I appreciate about shows like Oh Maidens in Your Savage Season is that it allows women to explore their sexuality on their own terms. Mm -hmm. It's hard to find that where you don't feel a man's gaze on top of that in a lot of anime, which is why I tend to really appreciate shows that don't make it about the male gaze at all and i'm willing to maybe forgive certain other flaws of the show just for how well done sexuality and queerness can be handled instead yeah makes sense <laughs> one other thing that i feel like the show does maybe unintentionally but i do feel the show pretty wonderfully dives in or opens up the floor for conversations around asexuality and the ace spectrum with one of the characters i believe just fully being ace one of the one of the side characters but furthermore i would say use personal journey with her feelings for nanami are very much in line with discussions of demisexuality or potentially splitting up between the, the sexuality spectrum and the romantic spectrum. As the show didn't really reach a conclusion, and it feels like there's a lot more to have, hopefully there'll be further seasons that will generate more content to better explore this. When did it come out? Fall 2018 anime. So it's not impossible that there would be a new season. I mean, people are still hoping for new seasons for shows that ended in like 2014. Yeah. We're, we're theoretically still getting a Yuri on Ice movie. <laughs> And I got Dirara like seven years later, so I mm -hmm. know it happens. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing I watched outside of challenge shows, but let's jump into the challenge. What did you watch for Momothon this week, Kim? So I was busy this week watching Kimini Todoke and Black Butler. So I started Kimini Todoke last week. I talked about the first episode a little bit. Basically, it's just like a very sweet rom-com, which is 
a really nice break from kind of the nonsense that I had been watching beforehand. I guess not nonsense, but, you know, more fantastical kind of out there shows. This was one was very grounded. The tension occasionally feels manufactured between the two romantic leads, you know, like they're always getting interrupted at the worst possible minute by like some, you know, ridiculous side character thing. But like, that's how rom-coms go. That's just kind of what you're getting into with this kind of show where the plot is like a will they, won't they? Where the answer is will they? The answer is they will, whoops. But like, I felt like the two main characters were very sweet. All of the characters were really likable. Chizu and Ryu had a really wonderful, like really close, intimate dynamic to side characters that I really appreciated. Chizu and Yano are the main character Sawako's best friends. They're both incredible women and the three of them have this wonderful friendship that like is kind of the point of a lot of the character development arcs that Sawako gets. She goes from being very shy to being, you know, leading study groups for the class and having multiple friends and calling people by their given names, which is like a whole four episode arc for her with the with the names. It was great. Mamo's character showed up in the second season as a side character who's like a complete motherfucker. He's just one of those characters who's like, like that, you know, like he's just existing to cause chaos, except I can't tell if it's intentional or not. And based on what I know from, you know, folks who have read the manga, it's not intentional, which feels wild to me for a Mamo character to be like that oblivious instead of just kind of existing to fuck with other people. He's fine. And I love Miyuki Sawashiro. She plays all of my favorite women. And she was Yano here and was phenomenal. And uh, she's also Kurapika in Hunter Hunter, I learned recently. So I guess I'm excited to watch Hunter Hunter now and be a Kurapika stan. <laughs> also, I wanted to note that there's an OVA for season two that they do in like CGI 3D. And it's the most buck wild fucking shit I've ever watched. What? Yeah. No, it's five minutes long and the characters like redo Romeo and Juliet with the two mains. And they're in like CGI, like, like early Clone Wars style, like low budget CGI. And the other characters are all enamel pins that like slowly come to life with like 3D CGI. Okay, I can't explain it any more than that. It's, it's just fucking wild. I watched it this morning and I had no idea what was happening. And all the YouTube comments were like, wow, am I high? And you know what? Yeah, I was for five minutes, apparently. And then they flew off into the sunset, and it was fine. Honestly, the most upsetting part to me is that it's yet another anime doing Romeo and Juliet. It's it's only in the OVA, and they barely do Romeo and Juliet. They try to do the balcony scene, but they can't get through it because the main characters are so fucking inept. Maybe because they're Which kids. they are. No, no, these, the main ones are, like, are CGI. The other ones are pins. And oh, they're of more... course. <laughs> They're more able to do things. But no, I, I really enjoyed Kimi ni Todoke. I thought it was fun. Um, I got frustrated a bit, you know, towards the end when I was like, why do these characters keep interrupting? But it was fun. Kim, you watch Kaguya-sama. I, yeah, but that's different. Kaguya-sama is different because it's like primarily a comedy with romance elements. I feel like Kimi ni Todoke is a romance show with like comedic dialogue, which the comedic dialogue is great. The characters are very witty and fun. It's just like, it's, it's, it's like Kaguya is like, okay, I can understand how they both don't know. These characters, Saoko and Kazehaya, repeatedly told each other that they liked each other romantically in front of each other and in front of a crowd in season one. And somehow we're not dating. 
and somehow came to the determination that they'd both been rejected. Like these fools are very dense. Um, so I get frustrated, but it was fun. And I'm also watching Black Butler for a fucking wild time. Speaking of, you know, wild, fantastical shows that do ridiculous bullshit. I'm back on my bullshit with Black Butler, which I'm not watching alone, which makes it a little bit more fun. And I have complicated feelings on it so far. It's, you know, it's trash, but it's juicy trash. You know, I guess is the way to say it. There's a lot of there. Sebastian is sexy. Mamo's character was, won't show up till Book of Circus. So I'm just kind of working my way through season one now. And I'll try to get to Book of Circus by next week. And then I'll have more to talk about. Because I want to see where they take some kind of weirdly serious plot points they're throwing into like this Victorian fantasy show. We'll see if they do anything with it. From what I hear, they won't. But who knows? Surprise. This is going to, or not a surprise if you read the description, which I'm sure will mention a lot of this. But this is going to be a sports anime episode, which is great because for Mamothon this week, I watched Days. Well, I finished Days. I started it last week. I, although I am not a fan of sports, I do love sports <laughs> anime and I'm a big fan. You're going to be a sports fan soon. Maybe. I mean, I feel like I know so much about volleyball now that it would be a shame for me not to watch it. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. The show Days really grew on me. I was not enjoying it too much in the first half. Like it was a popcorn watch and I had a nice time, but I didn't think it would stay with me very much. And it's mostly still just a fun time, but I had more fun towards the end as I started to get to know the characters better. I think the show got a lot better at exploring its characters. I felt like in the beginning, there were just so many characters who didn't get enough time for Tsukamoto's development, which wasn't even that exciting. So to see more of these other characters make up the team and then to sort of play with the idea of who the team relies on, who are the strengths of the team rely on, can the team survive without X character, can the team survive without X character, what if we move things around, Ultimately, the games got more dynamic and more interesting, and all of the relationships between characters became more realized. And I ended up being glad I watched it at the end. Um, also, ED2 was just adorable, and may end up being my favorite thing about the show overall. You know, that's valid. Good ED takes a decent show to a great show. So anyway, I fell more into the groove of the tempo as the show went on, and I felt that the stakes in the games became more realized, and I was actually able to watch them without getting too distracted or bored. And if you like sports anime, I would recommend pushing through this, even if you might want to give up early on, because I definitely probably wouldn't have finished it if I didn't have to finish it for this competition or for have to finish <laughs> yeah. it for <laughs> have to finish it for this challenge you're really in that uh sports anime mindset and also mm -hmm. if this was a competition you would be kicking my ass not now i'm slowed slowed down yeah. a lot now well it's because you're working but you created a huge lead in the beginning and you can coast off that for a while so i i'm only two sub two episodes in and i didn't clear it so if i can't, if for some reason kim really wants to watch this show i can switch away from it I started watching A Hero No Sora. I'm only two episodes in, so I don't have a lot to say yet. It's currently at about 38 episodes, and it's still ongoing, but I think it may have paused due to COVID, because that's a weird number. I am not sure. I did not actually look this up. The basic premise is that a short high schooler, Sora, wants to join his high school basketball team, but he learns that the team is not so much an organized team as much as it is a hangout for delinquents. 
So it seems like it's pretty much going to be a show that bands a team of underdogs together, which I typically like. That is kind of what happened with Kazetsuyo, and I do like a, a progression, but I don't always like that. So I can't, I'm probably more particular about the outside elements of the show. Mm-hmm. than I am, in fact, about that trope itself. And I, maybe I need to unpack that. I don't know. But I'm not a big fan of the art style. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just very specific. To me, it feels like it's very specifically targeted to be more masculine, in quotes, uh, than other sports <laughs> anime are. And so because of that, they push, pull away from a lot of maybe cuter or pretty boy elements in the style. Tragic. Uh, that, that unfortunately maybe I do quite like, but there's nothing wrong with liking a good pretty boy. Yeah, but it may it may also just be that I haven't met a character that I particularly like yet. I don't believe I have met Mamamo's character yet, so hopefully maybe that makes a difference, although that's not any reason why that particularly should. It's just kind of hope, so when I talk about this, it's easier to talk about. Mm-hmm. But I do like all the duck imagery. There's a lot of duck stuff for some reason. (laughs) Um, Shout out to ducks, I guess. Yeah, when he uh, shoots his amazing basket, that makes everyone go, what? Which, you know, is the the thing that happens in anime where everyone goes, oh, the protagonist is very good. (laughs) There's like a parallel duck imagery. So where you get like a crow in in uh haiku or a mermaid or dolphin in free you get a duck for basketball which i'm sure if i knew more about matt basketball i would know why and maybe i should have looked into that they could just like ducks the op is literally called and they do sing happy go ducky so (laughs) that's god tier yeah, so I'm curious to see. Maybe ducks are the mascot, and I missed that because I haven't. I don't know, but <laughs> they like ducks, and I like ducks too. So maybe that'll be what gets me through the show. Thus far, I'm a little nervous because I already don't love how women are handled based on a bra stealing plot line and all that. You know, anything that involves mm-hmm. you know taking something from the girls' locker room or any of that never flies with me because I do think those times of plot lines are dangerous and normalize that in a way that having gone to a high school where somebody stole a lot of bras, mm-hmm. that's a problem and they're very expensive. So <laughs> it financially sucks too. It's true. Bras ain't cheap. But ultimately I'll reserve my judgment as I continue watching. So I have a lot more to go. I definitely remember being turned off by Haikyuu in the beginning for similar reasons. <laughs> and we know how that went. Right. I love it now. So, And they definitely got better with Kyoko as the show went on. In the beginning, mm-hmm. there was a lot of... I believe there's just a shot of her ass in the first OP, right? Fucking probably. I think there is. But Haikyuu ultimately got away from that pretty quickly. So it's going to be a question of how long do I have to deal with plot lines like this? But it's unfortunately, bra plots are big in sports anime because there was one in days two and there was, you know, someone doing the laundry, finding a bra. Bras are unfortunately big in sports. <laughs> I'm going to cut all this. Oh, but but uh, now I want to like a sports bra plot um, <laughs> where it's like, it's all about sports bras. 
And I don't know where you would go with that in a way that would be fun and exciting, but I want it to exist. Well, maybe I'll keep it for this hypothetical. Please do. So let's segue into our deep dive this week, which is centered on sports anime as well. Specifically, we want to explore character development as tied to athletic development. Mm -hmm. These two topics are like sort of the point of most sports anime, right? Because like a lot of sports anime is like about the sport and making you want to do the sport. Mm -hmm. But it's mostly about the characters and how they develop like around the sport as the central sort of concept of the show the the driving force at least that's what good sports shows do like in my opinion in addition to making you want to play the sport which is how i measure a good sports show like when i watch haikyuu i want to play volleyball after i've never played volleyball in my goddamn life outside of gym class oh yeah it's the it's the effect of oh i just binged all of kazetsuyo maybe i should go running let's go (laughs) running and then i don't go running but i almost do it I know. That's because Kazutsuyo is really good. It makes you think that maybe you could do cross-country running and like it. You can't, is the the spoiler. I did one day of cross-country, just like I did one day of swimming. Wow. So you're an expert on both of those shows. Mm -hmm. In fairness, though, what actually it may make me an expert on is the reason why I quit swimming was because my gastritis acted up. Mm. And my mom made me. <laughs> well, we can talk about gastritis in a bit. <laughs> I I say that as a joke, but we could because my favorite March Comes In Like a Lion character has gastritis. But we were going to start with Haikyuu. Yes. I know that we both have a lot of feelings about Haikyuu in general, but they sort of are about different characters and even like whole different areas of the show so i'm interested to hear what you have to say about your faves so this is where you get to talk about kageyama it is true however i'm not going to start with kageyama because i think the progression needs to go as such so i'm going to start with talking about oikawa toru who i love unfortunately um he's great he is great, but he's also trash. And I'm trash, mm-hmm. and it's okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of my analysis is inspired by a video essay I had remembered really enjoying that I watched about a year ago. And so I went back to watch it, which is it's about Oikawa. And it's called Curse of the Ordinary by YouTuber Alexander. It's A-L-E-C-Z-A-N-D-X-R. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to be transparent in that this really helped me formulate my ideas here. I'll be going into Kageyama Tobio after this, so I'll be visiting what it means to be driven by your passions without natural talent versus using natural talent to drive your passion. Oikawa falls into the former camp. He is not naturally gifted at volleyball, but rather loves it so much that his talent is all earned through intense growth and practice. His tragedy is that, at a certain point, that caps. And those who are gifted, such as Kageyama and Ushijima, will inevitably surpass him, for they work just as hard as he does, all the while having the bonus of being gifted, or, like, left-handed. <laughs> that's that's huge in sports anime. If you're left-handed, you're you're better. Yeah, it's because it's, cause it's coming from the other direction. They can't tell. Unless you're my boy, but we'll talk about him later. But as a result... His efforts and failures come across in his personality. 
He's loud and pompous and forcefully charming because he has had to work so hard to get where he is. His forced efforts manifest into a forced public persona. We see that some of this is put upon. For example, look at his role as a spectator during the Karasuno Shiratorizawa game. First of all, this is the first time I believe that we see him in glasses in public, showing that he perhaps does not make that known publicly as he is somewhat a prince of his school. And instead of being charming, he's openly jaded and upset that both teams cannot lose. As Kim, <laughs> and as Kim pointed out to me, there's almost a disconnect between his put-upon persona and his more jaded natural self in that while wearing glasses refers to Suki as Megane, which literally means glasses and can be more colloquially understood as four eyes. Mm-hmm. Which is wild because he has seemingly no awareness that he's, he's literally wearing glasses himself. He's, he's the Megane-kun. Of which he speaks. Also, Stan Oikawa in glasses. Oh, he looked great. He was very pretty. But back to it, Oikawa may be a genius. He does not have the same natural gifts that others have, but he has an impeccable understanding of the game and how it works. As a middle schooler, he failed to understand the importance of the team as a whole. It is not until Iwa Iwa talks to him, telling him that he's playing volleyball as though it were a solo sport, that he's taking on all the pain of loss personally. He needs to drop the ego and recognize the role of the team. Oikawa has a wake-up call here. He has been playing alone for himself. He did the very thing a young Kageyama will later be accused of, perhaps wrongfully, which I'll get into soon. As a result, Oikawa dedicates himself to bringing out the best in his teammates. He qualifies his role as a setter as being what brings the whole team to their full potential. This becomes his philosophy, but this is also where he falls short and perhaps knows this. After begrudgingly giving Kageyama advice on how to improve his game in relationship to the team, you know, drop the ego, look for what they need instead, Oikawa Mm -hmm. struggles to hide his frustration. It becomes evident that while Oikawa at his best will bring out the best in others, Kageyama's best eventually will make his teammates better than their best. While this fact takes time for Kageyama to learn, Oikawa has been aware of this since perhaps even middle school, making him greatly resentful of the gifted. But this is not to say Oikawa has been stagnant. In fact, through the help of his teammates, he uses this frustration to keep pushing himself forward, both as a player and as a person. Whereas he used to just get frustrated with the game and himself, he now recognizes the support of his teammates. No loss is a personal burden. No win is simply self-satisfying. He shares them instead. He throws aside his worthless pride and keeps pushing forward. And not only in the game, but in life as well. I appreciate hearing this as somebody who, like, likes Oikawa and, like, enjoys watching him but doesn't have a lot of deep feelings about him. It's, like, definitely interesting to, like, hear analysis uh, of a character that I, like, vaguely care about and think is pretty. Um, And now I care more. Woo! Right. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons why I couldn't help bring up this essay as the inspiration because I had always liked him, but I was like, I don't know why I like him. And then I remember just like stumbling upon it one day and going, oh, oh, that's why. And and I'm crying now. This is why there are tears in my eyes. Good to know. But yeah, I, I definitely think recognizing his complexity and recognizing how deeply hurt he is by 
his inability to ever be qu quite as good as Ushijima, who lets him know that he will never be quite as good, is mm -hmm. is painful. Yeah. No, now I'm thinking about Suki again. Well, we'll get I'm, there. I'm always thinking about Suki. We can I get know. there when we get there. <laughs> but speaking of the gifted, let's go back to Kageyama. And I also Kage baby. ended up watching more essays that helped inspire. But pretty much, Kageyama's character is inextricably tied to Oikawa. They went to the same middle school. He admires Oikawa as a setter. He had hoped to go to Abajozai, but many of his team did without him instead. Furthermore, Rip. Oikawa's early resentment of Kageyama likely helped shape his personality and social anxiety. Whereas early middle school Kageyama was more mild-mannered, by never receiving the chance to learn to communicate with his team, as he grew up, his social awkwardness increased. As Kageyama can be described as a volleyball prodigy, Oikawa struggled with this and took it out on him, especially since he also desired to be a setter. Oikawa's berating of him may have confused Kageyama into what sort of behavior was acceptable or perhaps made him fear any standard communication whatsoever. We meet Kageyama in his final year of middle school, seemingly having no respect for his teammates, which in reality, it's more likely that he didn't have the relationship or the social skills to properly communicate, and as a result, he is given the nickname the King of the Court. Through his frustration and yelling, his teammates abandon him, preferring to lose the game than deal with his antics. Hinata's belief that this seems to be a compliment fails to recognize Kageyama's hatred of this name. He hates the name because it represents his failings. His failings are not of the game, but as a communicator. Arriving at Karasuno, skill is not a factor in whether he makes the team, but rather his ability to collaborate. In attempting to work with Hinata, they discover that they can make magic together in doing the very thing Kageyama was shamed for, and all of this occurs through an accident. Kageyama had begun to hold himself back as a player because he could not find the proper communication skills to match his playstyle. Instead of telling his former teammates to be better, he could have worked with them to help community improvement. Hinata's natural desire to want to hit anything given to him pairs him well. The entire relationship between Kageyama and Hinata is absent of ego, is absent of psychological barriers. While Kageyama learns to hold back his attitude and skill for the rest of the team, as a result of the advice from Oikawa, he never holds back with Hinata, and, and the two of them constantly improve as a duo. Unfortunately, Kagehina writes... Yeah, neither of us are Kagehinas, but we respect you. It's true. Kagehina is very valid. Jumping into the future. Time skip. <laughs> it is not until Kageyama attends the All Japan Youth Training Camp that he learns of failings he developed as a result of Oikawa's advice. He meets Mia Atsumu, who is perhaps the polar opposite of Oikawa's ideology. Likely another naturally gifted setter, he seems to be the person Kageyama's middle school team believed Kageyama was. Atsumu's ideology is that for a teammate to be worthwhile, they have to keep up with him. He should not have to adjust his play style for players to, who are not as good as he is. He calls Kageyama a goody two-shoes, which throws him off. This goody two-shoes has been the persona and player that Kageyama has been so actively trying to shape himself as these past couple of years, whether he's aware of it or not. Kageyama's not very bright, so he's not particularly <laughs> aware of it. <laughs> It's one of his best qualities. I think the thing about Kageyama that's so interesting is, whereas Oikawa, so much of it or is that all of his wheels are turning and he is crafting so much of who he is, Kageyama, it's all subconscious. He just is awkward and 
just really likes volleyball and does what he can to play it. Struggles to say like four words together sometimes. Mm-hmm. Falls asleep regularly. He's so <laughs> cute. I love him so much. Such a good boy. Mm-hmm. He's such a good boy, and he's baby. Quite a goody two shoes, but let's keep going with that line of thought. Mm-hmm. So for Kagami to hear that he has perhaps taken Oikawa's advice too far is jarring to him. By trying too hard to accommodate his team, he is holding them back. By being too afraid of being called king of the court again, he has not pushed his team beyond their full potential, only performing the limits of what Oikawa is able to do. What Oikawa knows he cannot do is what Kagayama can, pushing his team into growth. Karasuno is a team that has experienced immense growth. For Kagayama to deny their ability to grow and fly is to belittle them. Perhaps Kagayama cannot be the player Atsumu is, and perhaps he should not be the player Oikawa caps at. He should instead use his personal strengths, an absence of excess ego, and a natural talent to be a hybrid who can surpass them both. And this is where we come back to Hinata. When Kageyama returns from training camp, Hinata sees the change. He sees that the Kageyama who has always helped him grow appear for his teammates now as well. When seeing that this may begin to negatively affect Kageyama's psyche, he intervenes. He sees that Kageyama is afraid that in his outburst that he used to have as a middle schooler, he sees that Kageyama is afraid to become that person again, to be rejected again. And so Hinata intervenes. Uh, He wants him to know that he accepts him as is, that he can reclaim the king of the court now as a positive title. Through the acceptance of Hinata and the rest of Karasuno, Kageyama can help his team improve as well. Through Hinata's coronation of Kageyama, he is given permission to be himself. Understood as more socially awkward than ill-meaning, Oikawa's playstyle taught Kageyama how to make friends and build bonds that support his true playstyle, more similar to Atsumu's, but instead with more trust and less self-importance. Kind of cheekily, all hail the new king of the court. Kageyama good. He's so good. I was re-watching season three today. So I think it's important to note, Leanne and I are both anime onlys yes. with Haikyuu. Uh, not out of lack of love or interest, but out of wanting to kind of keep the tension going, at least through the end of season four for for me, which is probably the final season. I'm so confused by that, but I'm willing to learn. (laughs) I also, I want to acknowledge that because as of today, when we're recording this, they, we officially got noticed that the Haikyuu manga is ending in a week. Oh shit. Yeah, no, it's ending on July 20th. Like it will be over soon. There's a lot of content. The anime only covers a, you know, chunk of it. And I'm definitely going to go read it when it's all over, I think. Um, and I oh, might take sure. my time to see if the show can come back in time. Because it was supposed to be coming back this month, but unfortunately due to COVID got delayed. But anyway, I was watching season three today because I like crying. And also I love Suki. And every time I watch rewatch, I'm like, okay, I'm going to focus on this character who I really love and I want to talk about. And then I get distracted by all the other characters I want to talk about and who I love deeply. Like, you would not be able to tell from the amount I talk about things that Asahi is actually my favorite character. (laughs) Uh, And I love him with all of my heart. It's just I never get to see him enough. Every time he shows up on screen, I'm like, you. You. You all-time fave. But if we're talking about, like, athletic development and, like, personal development... 
I just love Suki. I want to talk about Suki. I think that Tsukushima K is fascinating. I am very gratified to have like a salty beanpole brat fave actually be someone that's beloved by the audience as well because I love mean characters constantly. Uh, mean glasses boys are my type <laughs> and I feel like I have to get really defensive of them a lot uh, because the you know it feels like everybody's like oh, they're so mean and you only like them because they're pretty or whatever blah 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 which like you know they are mean and I like pretty characters but with Suki he's just like cough cough Byakuya listen Byakuya Togami is a darling boy who gets character development god damn it um, and so does Suki Suki gets a lot of character development arguably like maybe one of the most, you know, like long running character arcs is Suki learning to like have faith in himself and to have faith in like caring about things and to see winning as something to actually work towards, which is like, I think a staple of sports anime, but to have like the one who like doesn't care and is above it all. I think it's a staple of a lot of shows. It, it prov provides a really nice like foil to like your typical protagonist i want to win i want to be good i want to do this suki's been hurt before he really really looked up to akiteru and got knocked down by his brother's lie and since then he's had a really hard time he's kind of shut himself down uh shut his passions down he's still incredibly talented though like he's on the team he's like a regular, a starter, being a first year, despite not really trying very hard, he's just naturally very gifted. It's the same thing with school, actually. The few times that we see the characters not playing volleyball, they're like studying, and Suki's incredibly gifted as that as well. He doesn't have to study to be smart, and he doesn't have to practice to be good at volleyball. Except, except that he does is the thing because no one in Haikyuu gets away without practicing. No, they they all that would be a character failure. Exactly. No, it's his character failures that he doesn't want to practice. He like shirks off all the extra practices that they all do, etc. But like the most emotional moment of the show, not just for me as a Suki stan, but I think for a lot of people, is the moment when it becomes clear to the audience that Suki cares which is in season three when he finally manages to block one of ushijima's spikes which no one thought was going to be possible he said you know i want to block a few i don't think we're going to win but i'm going to try to block a few which is like him being very detached but he manages to do it and it's not just that he manages to do it because he could do it and it would be like a crowning moment of achievement of like oh look at what happens when he tries because he was trying. You can see through his thought processes going up to it that he was carefully calculating every single moment of that match. But the fact that he tries and then immediately takes a moment, thinks of all of the thought patterns that have brought him here, you know, the like, this is just a club, I don't care about this, caring gets you hurt, etc. And then has this internal moment of realization where he realizes that he has succeeded for once. And he loves the feeling and he just screams 
And, like, I swear, they must have used their entire fucking budget for the season on that moment because it is, like, so beautiful and the focus of the whole episode. And his arc is the main arc, I would argue, of that match. And so you can see, like, his personal growth there is related to his athletic growth because he achieves a personal breakthrough by achieving an athletic breakthrough. He manages to do what everybody else thought was impossible, but he thought would be, you know, something that he could do physically. And then he manages to do something that he thought was impossible emotionally by letting himself be happy for once. And that was more than I even wanted to talk about Suki, but I love Suki. That's a lie. I, it was, okay, it was not more than I wanted. It was more than I should have talked about Suki, but I love him. And also I would be remiss if I did not talk about while talking about Suki if I did not talk about Yamaguchi Tadashi who is also the love of my life also my baby boy I love hashtag Sukiyama writes who like he it's like a very classic story of like him getting better at sports as like a metaphor for him getting better at being a person in terms of like being confident expressing himself making friends he wants to be on the court by season you see him in like the first season or two and he doesn't want to be there and every time he gets thrown in he like fucks it up and is really scared season three he gets put in as a pinch server and he actually manages to stall for time for Suki which is his goal when Suki gets injured and he manages to like score points and be really useful and helpful. By season four, he's very much like, put me in coach, you know, like, I gotta do this. And he's made friends with the team. He's confident and I love him. And that's not as eloquent, but I love him. But it's very natural too that he would have anxiety about being put in because he joins the team with the three other, the three other first years he joins with are Suki and then Kageyama and then Hinata. And before his ability is found, all of these characters are being lauded for their incredible strength. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of like, why am I here? Right. I mean, Kageyama takes over the senior setter position immediately. And Suki's tall and they respect that immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Suki has that has that six foot two advantage. No, I mean, yeah, like Kageyama shows up and immediately kicks Suga out of the starting line which is tragic for me also as a suga stan but understandable yeah like tadashi has a lot of people to compare himself to unfavorably but he puts in the goddamn extra effort and becomes really really invaluable to the team as a pinch server in like the same way that suga Mm -hmm. who spends most of his time like cheering on the sidelines is really really invaluable to the team as like a reliable setter who just brings everyone around him in and focused mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but like yeah Todd, mr refreshing mr refreshing i love him i keep saying that because they're all good boys i mean i think tadashi's arc like also kind of reminds me of like yuri's and yuri on ice which is like the other big sports anime that like you know took the world by storm and is very much about personal growth it's yuri's personal growth story just as much as it is like a, like a sports anime about figure skating in a, in a different way than Haikyuu, because I think Haikyuu is, like, more about volleyball than Yuri on Ice is about figure skating, even though they're both, like, about the sport, because you actually see, like, Yuri and the other characters doing other things <laughs> regularly. Mm-hmm. It's not just, like, training camp, training camp, game, training camp, game, oh god, they're gonna fail their classes. It's here we're going to, like, 
go do things and like meet your family and like spend time with an ensemble cast that isn't just all figure skaters. But Yuri really grows as a person throughout Yuri on Ice as well. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that because I think he's one of the greatest examples of the archetype of picking yourself up from a failure, whether perceived or real, and putting in the effort to become a better athlete and a more well-rounded and more confident person. Well, failure, if you don't have more to say, is actually a great segue for me go, to talk go. about Tai Chi. Go, talk about Tai Chi. I'm very excited for you. Please skip this section and check our timestamps, which I believe we forgot to mention will all be in our description. I will be spoiling the manga and the anime for Chihaya Furu, so please keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. And skip Spoil ahead. Me, baby. Now I'm going to talk about Mashima Taichi from Chihaya Furu. Now I probably could have talked about Chihaya or Arata as well here, but I feel like the two of them are so invested in Karuta that we, yes, we see how the game affects their lives, but it almost feels like it's too tied to Karuta to see where it hits personally as much as Taichi, where Taichi is. An introspective mess. <laughs> also, you're just in love with Tai Chi. And I that's love okay. Tai Chi. I do love I'm, Tai this Chi. This is a call-out post. You're in love with him. That's I, fine. It, yes. <laughs> and that makes me no different than like all of the random unnamed girls in the show. But it's fine. <laughs> like, Let's be real. If we were in sports anime, we would be random unnamed girl like number three. Uh, oh, yeah. Just like, losing our fucking minds in the stands. Except that I never went to sports games as a high schooler. Well, yeah, because the it, it's different. You don't get to know them and love them. I Yes. It's so much harder to know men in real life than it is mm-hmm, anime boys. Mm-hmm. So with Taichi, he perhaps only plays Karuta because of his social and emotional ties. And not for any love of it. If you are caught up with the manga, you know that he explicitly gets called out by Suo for hating Karuda. This may not even have been something that Taichi recognized himself until it is verbalized. Taichi views himself as a coward. Ever since Arata called him out as such when they were children, um, when he hid the fact that he stole Arata's glasses from Chihaya and continues to keep that fact hidden throughout most of high school. As a child, Taichi was used to success. His mother pressured him to be good at a great many things, and he got into the best middle school he could and thrived at sports. Had he done soccer instead of Karuda when he was in elementary school, had he, he perhaps could have only known success. But he only did soccer in middle school and came back to Karuda in high school largely because of Chihaya. However, there is a great moment in the manga when Arata even tells him, thank you for choosing this because I could have picked something you were good at and I put you through this because you picked something I was passionate about because Tai Chi has a sad desperate arc through uh, tied to Karuta tied to Chihaya tied to Arata but had had Tai Chi done soccer and not Karuta and not gone wrapped up into this he would have developed into a different person and I don't think there's a question about that he has this great amount of anxiety and fear of failure because he already has failed at it. And he is afraid of failure, not only because he hasn't seen it, but because his mother does not want to see it in him either. 
While he does not like Karuda, he still does it and strives for success. Taichi does not feel as though as he is good as his friends, Chihai and Arata, and he knows that they don't acknowledge him as an equal either, whether they admit it or not. And it, it shows. It shows in their behaviors for a long time, and it, it takes a, a while. Eventually, they may realize it, and they may realize how that has affected him and how they are not respecting him in the same way. They don't clock how they're harming him. He continues to play the one thing he failed at, so therefore he continues to be doing the one thing that reaffirmed his cowardice. He will continue to associate Karuda with the moment where he failed both Arata and Shihaya, therefore leading to further guilt and regret involving the both of them, which he has to sit with again and again and again as he continues to fail and fail and fail. The plotline wherein Taichi tries to progress from class B to class A is excruciatingly long. I, watching the show, did not expect it to take nearly as long as it did. I thought maybe the first time we would see it, he would advance. Maybe the second time. But it becomes something where my emotions, like, like Chihaya, who also almost cares more about Taichi advancing than her own goals because it's so painful to watch him go through this again and again and again. These continued failures manifest in the way that he harbors his feelings for Chihaya. He is terrified of losing her, or perhaps admitting to himself that he does not like the life that he has constructed. He does not like Karuda. And to admit that all of this has been weighing him down will admit that he has failed. Child Taichi is a bully. But he has confidence. Adult Taichi, or teen Taichi, has recognized his own cowardice and therefore has dropped his ambition. Perhaps his attraction to his friends is that they can give their all to Karuda without fear. In the beginning of the show, or in the manga, he tells Harada uh, Sensei that he fears failure. Harada tells him he cannot know until that until he tries. And, the, and I think the fear of failure with Karuda is that most people fail at Karuda because... There can only be one woman who's the best and one man who's the best. And then, when they play each other, you know who's the better of the two. It's not a team sport. It's not a group effort. It is a oneness. One of the things that's so attractive to Jihaya about Kuruda is that Arata tells her that if you are the best in Japan, you are the best in the world. And that drives her. But that is probably miserable to Taichi. Because he knows he can never be the best. No matter how hard he tries, he has already played the best. He's played Arata, and he, in his soul, knows that he will never beat him. He will never get to be that equal. And he will always be second. He will always be second to Arata in the game, and he will always be second to Arata in love. Despite the fact that they're actually an OT3, but truly within the context of the show. Ugh. But it's fine because they're all dating. Exactly. But even even Harada, who's a mentor and great at Karuda, has never been the best. He has never been the Majin, and he's still trying. You know, despite his weak knees, and he's still trying to fight the Majin for the title. And it is a it is a game filled with failure. Taichi never fails at school. He's top of his class. Seem to not fail at sports. But perhaps that is what makes Karuda scary and enticing at the same time. He could fail, but he doesn't know how to. 
He relates failing at Karuta with failing at being himself, failing at being seen by his friends who feel more talented than he is. And he's trapped in this endless cycle until he can get the chance to be more introspective about it. And it's really, he only heals the moment that Arata accepts him and tells him that he sees him and sees him as his equal. Uh, that sweet, sweet, like, rival tension that, like, it forces each other to grow. The really good shit about, like, I think individual sport anime, like, as opposed to team sports. You end up with more, like, one-on-one intense rivalries when the sport is one-on-one. Which just reminds me of Yu-Gi-Oh! But, like, it's fine. <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! is all about rivals, and also, if we're saying that game shows are sports anime, then Yu-Gi-Oh! is a sport anime. Because it is a game show for sure. And they do a lot of athletic stuff and people are getting beat up. And it's way more of a uh, a sport than shogi is. Um, <laughs> which, you know, March Comes In Like a Lion is categorized as a sport anime on some sites. Uh, which, like, makes me have a lot of... I don't know. I was listening to you talk about Taichi and I was thinking about Ray from March Comes in Like a Lion, which is like, I think the most direct sort of comparator show to Chihaya Furu um, in that way. I mean, not in like the relationships way, but just in that, like, it's, you know, a longer uh, sort of like slice of life sport game anime. It's a traditional Japanese sport or art or game too. Which... Yeah. These other sports animes don't have that same cultural tie to it. Which means it's a it's a niche show, too. Mm-hmm. Even though, like, March Comes In Like a Lion is a critical darling, and so is Chihaya Furu. I've never seen someone who watched Chihaya Furu and didn't, you know, immediately love it. But I, I think a lot about Rei, who's the main character of, uh, of Sangatsu no Lion. Or as it's typed out, Gatsu. Um, <laughs> Shogi is very much also an individual game, and... He's a prodigy at it, and he only does it because after his family dies, it is the way he is able to be adopted by his foster family, as his foster father sees that he's good at shogi and takes him in. He wouldn't have taken him in otherwise. So he's kind of forced by circumstances to play shogi. Despite this, he does actually like shogi, and he spends a lot of time thinking about shogi. But but interestingly enough, I don't he, he doesn't grow as like a shogi player necessarily throughout the course of the show. He grows as a person without gaining any sort of strategic or like quote unquote athletic prowess through his efforts, you know. It's it's more like shogi's like an impetus for him to get better. Like when he gets knocked down in shogi, which happens at the end of season 1, in a really, really satisfyingly brutal way. He he gets absolutely shut out during a match because he wasn't paying enough attention to his opponent because he thought that he was so good at it. He was just focused on the match after it. It really forces him to reconsider how he thinks of the game, how he thinks of the community around the game, and how he thinks of like the roles of other people in his life in a way that like allows him to open up and connect not only with other shogi players but also with the like larger ensemble cast of the show. And I won't go too deep into it because I don't want to get into like really intense spoilers mm-hmm. and I haven't read the manga for this one. 
but I think Ray is a very interesting protagonist. When you think about sports anime, you think of like either you have, you know, the really naturally talented but kind of aloof characters or the like plucky protagonist types. And Ray is naturally talented and kind of aloof and is the protagonist. And he's not necessarily aloof because he thinks he's better than everybody, but because he's like so disconnected from the world around him due to like past traumas and really really severe depression but i do appreciate that the show doesn't try to absolve ray of being like kind of a motherfucker for some of the plots like the show doesn't say like oh well it's okay because he was very sad it's like no you were you were being arrogant you weren't thinking about this you know he recognizes like i wasn't doing these things it's it's not okay because i was sad about it or because i was feeling angry or revengeful which i really appreciate is revengeful a word? I vengeful is. So, you know, <laughs> revengeful is now because life is hard and I make up words what I want to. Dictionaried. Yeah, I did it. But yeah, I mean, I think there are a bunch of other shows we could talk about. Um, I oh, think, for sure. you know, Stars Align is a big one that we have a lot of feelings on. We touched briefly on Kazutsuyo, but there's a lot there as well, even though like Kakaru is kind of Kagiyama in a different font. <laughs> Like, I mean, there's, there's, there's one of, there's a Kageyama in every sports anime. In oh, Free, yeah. it's Haru. And we could talk about Free forever, too, but I think we do want to mention that we love Rin. Yeah, Rin, Rin loses a race, and then Rin is sad forever. We love Rin. God bless him. He's so angsty. I love angsty mamo boys. There's a lot we could touch on. I, I definitely, I consume a lot of sports content. I know that it sounds like it's just Haikyuu, but it's truly not. I can I can vouch for her. She watches a lot of sports anime. It's just Haikyuu's a, a, a big deal. Yeah, I definitely could spend a whole hour talking about Pekko and Ping Pong because Ugh. his development is completely tied to the sport. Mm -hmm. But Tsukimoto's development is tied to Pekko more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, when you when you start out naturally talented at something, the only way you can grow is by developing like the side of your personality that you neglected by being talented, which is mm -hmm. typically in these shows like the very personal, like interpersonal relationship section. So those character arcs tend to focus more on either the, per the character's relationship to others or their relationship to themselves. Mm -hmm. If you're already passionate about something or if you're not that good at it, there's a lot more ground to cover with regard to the sport or the game. Right. And now, let's talk about our favorite short-haired anime women. Fuck yeah. God. So, I love short-haired ladies. There are too few short-haired anime women. As a, as a short-haired woman myself, I feel seen by these ladies. But the first one I think of is Kashima from Gekken Shoujo Nozaki-kun, who is also has the benefit of being a tall girl. We stand tall girls. We stand tall girls with short hair. Love these prince ladies. I'm a big sucker for the prince of the school being a woman. I've always loved that. Yeah, thanks, Utena. I also am going to, this is maybe a little controversial, I'm going to say Bulma from Dragon Ball, even though I've never seen a single episode of a single <laughs> Dragon Ball, because I've played Jump Force, and therefore I know all the things I need to know about that series. And I love her. I love everything I've ever heard about her. I love that she's like, competent and intelligent and wonderful and has short blue hair mm. speaking of competent intelligent wonderful short blue hair francesca von karma and the ace attorney series is absolutely beautiful and i love her i love her whip and i i'm only part way through the second game so i haven't you know spent a lot of time with her but i'm excited to see 
where she goes and I want to see her interact with Miles. And this is where I'm horny for Miles Edgeworth on Maine. And also, lastly, my second favorite character in Sound Euphonium, Hazuki, who is the uh, tuba player, is absolutely delightful. She is just friendly and fun and upbeat. I honestly, now I'm thinking about Sound Euphonium as like, it relates to sports anime because I think music anime is very similar to sports anime. Blah, blah, blah. That's my list. So I'm definitely piggybacking on Kashimo. I just want to say that too. I would be remiss if I did not say Haruka or Sailor Uranus from Sailor Moon as one of the most formative short-haired ladies for me and probably one of my earliest crushes. Mm-hmm. Not only was she already sexy, but she also kind of introduced me to the idea of a woman being able to freely be a little more quote-unquote masculine and not and you know the fact that she wore the boy's uniform made me swoon Mm -hmm. and also the fact that she had a girlfriend was really exciting and formative for me too did i want to date her as a child absolutely did i understand that no (laughs) (laughs) another just to give a sports anime another shout out and a character i probably could have talked about as well i actually really like komodo akira from welcome to the ballroom even though she is probably not the best person, but she's also definitely very gay, and I also like that about her. I mean, Chie in Persona 4 is a delight, and we love her, and we love that she loves kung fu, and we love that she loves meat, even though I do not eat meat. I think uh, Ginko from Yurikuma Arashi is great. I was gonna like not sure if Jiro is included, because she's got long front pieces, but I do really love Jiro from My Hero, and then... I really love that in Skip Beat that that Kyoko's makeover that she gets after all the show bullshit, she gets a, a crop that she got a haircut and decided to make it into showbiz with a cute short haircut instead, and I love that. Other honorable mentions are Emma from Promised Neverland, Akane from Psychopaths, Bazette Fraga McRemitz from <laughs> Fate Hall of Ataraxia, then uh, Erica from Erica 7. And with that, I'm going to switch us over to seasonal check-ins. I watched jack shit. So, Kim, what did you watch? Okay, I'm going to be really quick with these because I watched a bunch of shows that started up this season. Um, I watched four premiere episodes, and I'm going to keep going this week with all of them, I think. Mm. First one I want to talk about is Japan Sinks 2020. I am known for liking darker shows. Yuasa is a really, really well-regarded and respected director. You know, Aizuken came out earlier this year and was a critical darling immediately. And everything that he's ever done has been a critical darling, it seems. I've heard mixed things about the show since it premiered on Netflix a couple days ago. So I guess I'm going to keep my opinions sort of, you know, level until I finish it. Oh, that's a bad word to use. Oh, that is. Whoops. (laughs) No, I'm going to keep my opinions. I don't, I literally can't think of another word. You can say level. No, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, you know, we'll see how I feel about it when I finish. I'm not going to get my hopes up as high as maybe I was before, but I also have tended to disagree with critics before. So we'll see if it makes me feel things. I'll probably like it. I also watched the first episode of God of high school, which I did not expect to like as much as I did. It was fun. It was exciting. I hope that it doesn't get bogged down too much in the fight sequences because those can be very exciting and they look like they will be here, but I'm not as much of a fan of fight sequences. And there's also real OT3 potential, so keep an eye out for this one, Leanne. I love that. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, they have they have my perfect OT3 formula so far. They have a chaos disaster, a righteous one, and one with brain cells. They're all sort of chaotic so far, but excited. I also watched the first episode of Decadence, which I, once again, did not expect to like as much as I did, because I don't tend to like, like, Attack on Titan as future dystopia, like, fight off the, you know, outsiders thing, because I think that that can tend to get kind of racist real quick. But I'm going to reserve judgment until we get more of an idea of the plot of this one. The main character is like this really lovely, upbeat, 18, 19-year-old, it seems, who's very excited and wants to get involved. And I'm a sucker for, you know, happy girls. And then the other main character is like a gruff older man type. Uh, And I was worried they were going to do like a romance thing, but it seems to be more of a father-daughter plot, which I'm a sucker for too. And I also watched the first episode of Origairu Season 3, which I won't talk about in any kind of depth because I don't want to spoil it for you, Leanne. But I, I had fun with it. I think I struggle with this show because I don't feel like I'm smart enough for it ever because I never understand what the fuck they're talking about. And like it takes me like pausing four times to understand what any of their pronouns are referring to because they really like to talk around things. And that like works when it works and when I get it, but often I don't. But that being said, the parts that I do get are really wonderful. And I'm excited to see where this season goes. Um, I think emotionally, it started off on a very strong foot. And this is the one show where I OT3 and like no one else does. So I I want all of them. People are like, are you team Yui or team Yukino? And I'm like, team Yui and Yukino date. And then they also date Hachiman. Yeah, I mean, that's very valid. i Honestly, just not. I'm so interested in the characters themselves that the relationship politics are less exciting to me than they normally are. Mm -hmm. That's like a very fair and valid take that you have. That is like a good, mature take. It's not mine. I want them all to date. Yeah. But at the same time, like that does not make me unhappy. And I think that's a great solution. It also might be that Iroha best girl, but I don't ship Iroha with anyone. So yeah, it's, you know. And I know I shouldn't say best girl on our podcast with its title, but I just love your I mean, we're allowed to have best girls. She's my chaotic disaster. She's my agent of chaos. Mm-hmm. We love chaotic disasters. You specifically love chaotic disasters. <laughs> I, I'm more of the righteous one type. Um, love me mm-hmm. some some real, you know, moral, lawful, upstanding folk that slowly get corrupted by, you know, outside forces. And on that note... I think we need to face our outside forces now. Oh, Jesus, don't do this. (laughs) I'm hitting stop. Okay, Okay. we'll say goodbye. Bye, everyone.